Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Heavenly Father, Lord, we look to you this morning that you would be pleased to teach us from your word, not that we would merely come out of this with just more information in our heads, but Lord, we would be changed by your word. We recognize, O oh Lord, that that could mean that uh, we could be rebuked this morning. Uh, that could mean that uh, perhaps at the beginning it might be discouraging to us. Uh, but Lord, we do recognize that uh, if that would be the case, that it would only be your loving hand uh, working and shaping and molding us that we would become more and more like Jesus. So Lord, however it needs to be, Lord, we submit to you and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would do this great work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My original intentions was to preach the whole chapter in one sermon and do a few things before uh, we begin embarking into what we call the Christmas season. And I'm toying with doing a, a series in the book of Psalms for Christmas this year. I don't have it quite uh, laid out all the way, but I think it's laid out enough that I could probably start making noise about it. Um, but as I begin to study chapter 23, uh, I think that maybe, maybe we should take our time there and spend a few Sundays uh, in Matthew 23. I think that we have come to a passage of Scripture that probably has as good a chance of being skipped and ignored as about any particular passage of Scripture in the New Testament, in the Bible for that matter. We didn't read these verses this morning, but if you are familiar with the chapter at all, you know starting with verse 13, there's a series of woes. And uh, the word woe is practically removed from uh, church language today. How, when was the last time you heard the word woe uh, in a sermon? Um, and yet, it's an important word. In fact, if our hearts and our minds are really in tune with the, the heart of God, uh, when we come to that word, uh, we should pause and actually tremble before that word. It's an oracle of God, and it's, uh, it's, it's a word of judgment. And Jesus uses it uh, multiple times in this chapter, uh, but it has little place in the the positive and encouraging mindset that seems to prevail today, that has little place. Um, 
And, you know, if we're in the habit of skipping over these kinds of passages, you know, if we're in the habit of ignoring these kinds of script, these, these kinds of chapters, if we're in the habit of just kind of moving over and moving on, uh, that only proves to, to serve that we really need this. Uh, we, we really, really do need this. Uh, you know, the, the, the church leaders that have the Fortune 500 mindset uh, would disagree with me on this. In fact, I, can, I think I can hear some of them saying, you know, Rick, here you go again. You're doing it again, Rick. And, and this is why your congregation remains so small, and this is why you're really not on the map. Today's listener doesn't want to hear this, Rick. But you just, you just, you're just not going to get with the program. You're, you're just not up with the times. Now, let's think that through for a minute. What does the Apostle Paul say about this? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4. to He says that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into the myths. Now, the Fortune 500 guys are right when they say today's culture does not have an appetite uh, for these kinds of passages. They're 100% correct. But what they're wrong on is this. What they're, I should say, what they're ignorant of is the fact that yesterday's culture didn't like this much either. Sometimes I think we think, okay, well, you know, 50 or 75 years ago, they liked this stuff. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. What kind of morbid person would like this stuff? Whoa, 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 a whole bunch of times. No, the cultures have never liked this stuff. People have always recoiled away from the truth. Uh, every generation of the church has had this decision to make. It's a real simple decision to stand with Christ and preach the whole counsel of God, not skipping anything, or to succumb to the itching ears. Now, to do the, the, the first thing, to stand with Christ and teach the whole counsel of God, I mean, that puts you in with Jesus, but it's going to put you out with the world. Pretty easy to see. But to succumb to the itching ears, that's going to put you in with the world, but out with Christ. And I think we can see from the criteria that I'm laying out here, uh, this means that there are assemblies out there, uh, bodies of people who are gathering, some even right now, who are out of step with Christ. And in the world's eyes, these are probably the congregations where the world, the world that's looking on would say these are the most successful congregations uh, that are out there. These are the ones to listen to. I remember, you know, about two years into this church planning project, I remember talking to a friend that began to mentor me. His name's Ian Duguid, and he's a, he's a Hebrew professor. He teaches up at uh, Grove City College, and now he has been hired by Westminster Seminary to, to lead the uh, Old Testament department. And I'm very thankful for his mentorship. He once planted a church in Oxford, England, and he had a lot of difficulty getting folks to come into that particular uh, setting. And I remember saying to him, you know, there's just, we just can't get anybody to come to church. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe we should hang this up. And um, this, was his, this was his advice to me. He says, Rick, no, you, you can't hang it up. There could be more ministry going on with those 20 people 
than in many congregations that I could point to of 500 people. Stick with what you're doing. I was so thankful for that word. And then he went to tell me about his situation in Oxford, England. I think that that uh, church only grew to about 50 people. It was all the bigger that it ever did get. It wasn't for want of leadership. Ian is first class. It wasn't for want of leadership. We have to make our decision. We have to make it and we have to stick by it. What are we going to do? Are we going to teach, teach the whole counsel of God or are we going to succumb to the itching ears? Now, perish the thought that we ever succumb to the itching ears, but let us, let us also be warned here. Let us never think that we could uh, uh, not fall to that temptation. You know, I, I'm really asking for your prayers. Pray for the leadership here that we would always stay steadfast to preach the whole counsel of God. When we begin to study chapter 23, we realize that it's a very loving chapter, actually. It's one, that, that's, a, that, that's something that I didn't realize until this week, actually. I've read this many, many times, but I never saw the love that's poured into it. There's a lot of love poured into this chapter, as we're going to see as we go through this systematically. Jesus is here setting, a, setting forth what is true and what is false. It's a contrast between the true and the false. It's a contrast between the true Christian leader and the false Christian leader. It's a contrast between the true Christian system and a false system that seeks to be a counterfeit. Now that's pretty loving, isn't it? To show us that. Why would Jesus want to do that? Why would He want to do that for us? It's because He desires to protect us. And you see, if we ignore this, we're shunning His protection. We'll be deeply impoverished if we ignore this. Now, uh, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, the apostle told the Ephesian elders that after his departure, fierce wolves would come in. And then in the very next verse, he says, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So what Paul is saying in that passage is that the church is always going to be in, in really in danger in two ways. It's going to be in danger from false leaders from without. And it's going to be in danger from false leaders who will rise within. And of these two dangers, the second one is by far the most dangerous. By far the most dangerous. When men rise from within the church who teach distorted and twisted things. That is very dangerous. Very dangerous. Inside jobs are usually the most devastating. Now, that's why we have Matthew 23. The scribes and the Pharisees were on the inside, weren't they? They're on the inside. The most dangerous kind. Now, uh, Matthew begins the chapter uh, by telling us in verse 1, if you look at verse 1 with me, he says that Jesus is speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. And we would do well to remember where Jesus is giving this talk. Where is Jesus at? Where is this talk taking place? 
It's in the temple. Matthew 24, 1 tells us that he leaves the temple. As soon as this discourse is over, Jesus leaves the temple. Now, I point this out so that we might pause just for a moment and consider this fact. This is the last sermon that Jesus will preach in the temple. This is it. It's the last one. Verses 1 and 2 taken together. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, uh, the scribes were the professional interpreters of the law, if you will. Uh, most of them were very sympathetic to this reformist movement that we read about in the New Testament, the Pharisees. You know, we read about these characters. Uh, what kind of characters were they? We don't know a whole lot about the Pharisees, actually. Um, we really don't. Um, um, but what we do know is they had worked their way into uh, the, the, the position of uh, the spiritual leadership of the religious apparatus of that day. That much we know. Uh, the Pharisees were meticulous in their observance of the law, and it's only natural that the scribes would be attracted to them. Now, the scribes, they seem to have their beginning uh, back in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, in fact, Ezra was a scribe, and uh, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are two of the leaders that God uses to reestablish his people back in Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, uh, we learn of a story where uh, uh, Israel is gathered together and they're in the process of reestablishing Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was, has been sacked by the Babylonians and uh, many of the Jews were carried back to Babylon. Well, now God is putting Jerusalem back together. He's raised Ezra and Nehemiah. They're of the leadership of this. And one of the things that, are, that, is, that is crucial in reestablishing the people of God in that place is to reestablish the Word of God. And we are told that there was a platform that was built for the purpose and that uh, Ezra stood on the platform and he began reading from the Bible. And as he read from the Bible, others began to uh, explain to people what these words meant. In other words, what's taking place here is something that's very similar to what I am doing right now. Uh, reading the passage of Scripture and then explaining what it means. Now, down through the centuries, this practice seems to be passed down through the hands of the scribes. Now, what does all of this have to do with Matthew 23? Well, if you look at verse 2 with me, our passage says that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, I want to point something out to you here. Uh, a literal translation of this passage would read this way. The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their place on Moses' seat. In fact, the New American Standard Bible translates the verse, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the, in the chair of Moses. That's a really important thing to hang on to there. They've seated themselves. Now, to sit in Moses' seat is to have uh, really, it's to teach uh, the law in an, authority, an authoritative capacity, if you will. We still use this kind of language today. We use it in the colleges and the universities. Uh, you, you might, uh, you know, if you went up to Pitt University 
and you asked to speak to the professor who was chair of the philosophy department, when you went into his office, you or her office, you would be speaking to the one who presides over the entire philosophy department at Pitt University. Now, we still use that language, the chair of. Uh, sometimes it's used in civic capacities, the chair of, a person who's chairing a meeting would be the person who is residing or presiding uh, over that meeting. Uh, so the scribes and the Pharisees have taken their place in Moses' seat. Now, this is one of the first marks of a false teacher. A false teacher seats themselves. Does that make sense? They seat themselves. And this goes a long way in, ex in, in explaining why the scribes and the Pharisees hate, hate Jesus so much. You ever wonder why they hate Jesus so much? Why do they hate him so much? Why are they always trying to kill him? It's because they've seated themselves. It's because they put themselves in the seat. They put themselves in this position of authority. Now, if you had put yourself in that position, there's one thing for sure. You're not going to be one around. You're never going to be one around the person who really belongs in that place, are you? You're going to feel threatened by him. You see, so Jesus' presence here, his presence in, in, in this text actually stands as the contrast. You know, what have we been studying here? You know, let's think about what we studied last week. You know, there were really basically three points. Jesus asked the question, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? You remember, we looked at that. He's the son of David. But that wasn't enough. Jesus wanted us to understand more than that. He's not just the son of David. He's the son of God. And remember, this is according to the Scriptures, right? Son of David, son of God, according to the Scriptures. Jesus does not seat himself. Jesus is being seated by God. And this is according to the Scriptures. Why do the Pharisees and the scribes hate Jesus so much? Because he's the one that really belongs where they are. And for him to be placed in the position of where he is, they have to be, they're imposters. For Jesus to be put in that position, that means they've got to get out of there. They don't want out of there. That's what false leaders do. They worm into places that don't belong to them. They try to take control of things that aren't theirs. Now, what Jesus says next fleshes this out a little further, although it's a little bit confusing at first. If we look back to, Je to, to verse 2 and into verse 3, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves, if you will. They have seated themselves in Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Do you see that? The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Now, this is kind of confusing. What does Jesus mean here? Practice and observe whatever they tell you. Is he telling us to practice and observe every single thing that these teachers are teaching? No way. No way. Now, how do I know that? Well, let's think about where we've been. If we think all the way back to Matthew 16, for instance, uh, you remember Jesus talking about, he's talking to his disciples and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You remember that text? And then in verse 12 of Matthew 16, 
we're told explicitly what Jesus means by the, la- the, the leaven of the Pharisees. He's, the, the leaven of the Pharisees is the teaching or the instruction of the Pharisees. Jesus is warning his disciples to beware of their teaching. And then if we go back to chapter 15, Jesus rebukes their tradition. Jesus says in verse 3 of chapter 15, he says to the scribes and Pharisees, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, many of their traditions were in direct violation of the teaching of God's word. What has happened is the... These folks had slowly begun to worm their way into the leadership apparatus of the religious institution, and along the way, down through the centuries, they began to make stuff up. They began to invent things. They began to add things to God's Word. And they took all of this, uh, all of this, these precepts and these inventions and these laws, if you will, and they elevated them to the same level as the authority of God's Word. And we're going to see that as we continue to study Matthew uh, 23. Uh, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 15, verses 4 through 9, He says, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. He's pointing to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. What's going on there? It's one of those traditions. It's one of those loopholes, if you will. This would get you out of taking care of your aging parents. Instead of spending your money on them to take care of them, uh, all you have to do is say, well, listen, you know, I'd really like to help you out here, but I've give, all my stuff's tied up. I've just given it all to God. That's what I've done with it. I've given it all to God. Sorry, there's nothing left over. I've just... That sounds so pious, doesn't it? That sounds so religious and so pious. You know, I'd love to help you out here, but it's just everything's tied up. I've given it all. I've given it all to God. Well, in actuality, they hadn't. It was a device that was used to keep the money. That's what Jesus is rebuking here. And he goes on. He says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, they were making stuff up. And they were elevating that stuff to the same level of Scripture. And this stuff that they were making up and adding to the Word of God was was contradicting the Word of God. So is Jesus teaching us to obey everything that these men uh, were teaching? No. No. We have to, when we come to one passage of Scripture, we have to take take that passage and we have to apply it to the scrutiny of the rest of Scripture. Or we can make make the Bible say anything we want it to. We can make it, really we can. We got all the letters we need. We got, what's the 26 letters? I mean, right? We, we got about all the words we can use. There's lots of words. You can make it say whatever you want. That's not ha- It has to be understood as a whole. God does not contradict himself. Jesus is not teaching us to obey everything these, that these men were teaching. So what does Jesus mean when he tells his disciples to practice and to observe whatever they tell you? What does he mean? 
Well, you know, I'm painting the scribes and the Pharisees with a broad brush so far. And it would be unfair of me if I didn't at some point in this message say, listen, not all of the scribes and Pharisees were of this cloth. There were faithful people. There were faithful men. And besides that, yes, they taught a lot of things that weren't true, but they also taught a lot of things that were true. And what Jesus means here is when they sit in the seat of Moses, okay, as they teach the law of Moses, that is a, that, that, that's, just a, that's just a phrase that really applies to Scripture. Basically, when they stand in the pulpit like I am right now and they teach the Word of God, insofar as what they're teaching is true to the Word of God, then you are to observe it and, and, and practice it. Does that make sense? Uh, there's a story in the book of Acts uh, about a, a group of people known as the Bereans. You know, Paul and Silas go into Berea and they preach the gospel. And the Bible tells us that the Bereans were, quote, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And God is here in this passage commending them for this. They're being commended for this. You know, Paul and Silas, they come in and they preach the gospel. They'd never heard the gospel before. So what do they do? They check it out. How do they check it out? By examining the scriptures to see if it's so. You know, you can almost hear what I'm saying. You know, Paul comes into an assembly like this, and, and he pre him and Silas, they preach the gospel, and then they leave, and we all say, man, I don't, what do you guys think of this? What are you, what, what, I don't know what to make of this. What are you, I don't know. Let's get our Bibles out. Let's start working on this. Are these guys a couple of fruitcakes, or are they really got the, or they really got the Word of God? I don't know. Let's, uh, let's get together. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get together after work every day until we are in this thing out. And they discover that Paul and Silas really are men of God. How do they discover that? Because what they're saying is infidelity. It's in, it's in faithfulness to the Word of God. And then they discover that what Paul and Silas are preaching is the true system. It's a system they'd never heard of before. That God has given us a Savior. That God Himself has come in the person of Jesus Christ and fulfilled all of this Scripture. They come, to they come to discover, you know what? We, we really had missed this whole thing. This whole thing is about this one who Paul's telling us about. This whole thing is about, is about Jesus of Nazareth. That's what this whole thing is about. How could we have ever missed it? Paul and Silas, you guys are all right. You guys are all right. You see the contrast here? You see what Jesus is giving us in Matthew? We, I mean, we, we're only two verses in, aren't we? He's given us criteria for the true and false. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the title of this whole series we're going to do in Matthew 23. True and false. True and false. So where have we been so far? The false teacher seats himself. And I might just make one application in, 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 uh, in closing here. Um, you know, every, every congregation out there is always in danger of the antagonist. When I started my undergrad work at Geneva College, I thought it was odd when I was, uh, when I was uh, in the midst of it, but you know what, the, the first class that I took at Geneva College was a class entitled Antagonists in the Church. 
And I thought to myself, boy, I'd really like to study the gospel. <laughs> okay, everybody, our first up, first, uh, first up, antagonists in the church. I didn't really want to study antagonists in the church. That isn't really what I wanted to do. That wasn't my choice. I wouldn't have chosen that. I wanted to study theology. Well, in the class, you know, the teacher began to talk about uh, antagonism. He had been in pastoral ministry for 25 years, and boy, did he have the stories. And after that first class, I thought, boy, I'm so thankful that this curriculum wasn't up to me. Because I don't think I would have ever put antagonists in the church. But I've listened to Pastor Austin here. I've listened to Professor Austin. I think, you know, I probably would have wished this class was first class after I'd been in the pulpit for about, or in pastoral ministry for about six months. What am I getting at here? There are a group of people out there. There's, there's not a lot of them, but there, there is a personality type out there that want, just wants to take control of things. This doesn't just happen in churches, but it's very popular in churches where they want to take control of things. And what they do is they attack the leadership and befriend the rest of the group simultaneously. Absalom, David's son, is a classic example of this. What's he do? He befriends Israel and he attacks the leadership. What is his goal? To seat himself as king. He's the classic antagonist. And I'm telling you, one good antagonist can bring down and has brought down a church of 500 people. I can tell you that right now. But a good study of Matthew 23 will equip us from that danger because the, the characteristics of these false teachers is the same. These scribes and these Pharisees that are doing this, that are wanting to get rid of Jesus, are of that stripe. They do not want Jesus around because they don't want to give up control of things. So as we study these things, as we study and become more familiar with these things, we become better equipped not to fall prey to these things. The false teacher te seats himself. Uh, the true teacher is called by God. The false teacher distorts the truth. The true teacher shows uh, that he has been called by teaching the true word of God. So we see true, false, true, false. And I just leave you with this, this last caveat. Um, take everything that you've heard this morning from me and examine the scriptures to make sure that they're so. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you've given us this glorious chapter to show us the true from the false. And we look forward, O oh Lord, to diving into this chapter and studying the true systems from the false systems that, Lord, uh, we could be equipped that as we grow, O oh Lord, uh, that, we would have, um, that we would have what we need, O oh Lord, uh, to, to, uh, to grow and to become very healthy. So, oh Lord, uh, we pray that, Lord, you would protect us uh, from those who would want to seat themselves, and that you would protect us, O oh Lord, from distorted and twisted things. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would shape and mold us so that we would be a group of people who are always examining the Scriptures to make sure everything that we hear is so. So, oh Lord, I pray that you oppress this glorious chapter upon our hearts and upon our minds. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Everyone said. Amen.